Welcome to SOS VHS. Today, I had the opportunity to sit with one of my favorite people and talk about her favorite movie. We're talking about a great Olympian athlete, uh, a great podcaster. You might know her from the Tiger Belly podcast and the Trash Today podcast. Uh, and we're talking about The Life Aquatic with Steve Sisu by Wes Anderson. Welcome, Kalila Kuhn. How are you doing? Good, fancy. Thank you so much for coming. Of course. I've never been so happy to be on a set before. <laughs> yeah, it's cool, no? It's beyond cool. <laughs> now I wish Tiger Belly and Trash Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, only if your producers were as good. <laughs> <It's> only. <laughs> but, um, okay, so let's start. Um, so... Life, the Life Aquatic came out on December 24th of 2004. I think you were 19. Were you in Las Vegas um, by then at the school? I was in transition. So I was both in Vegas and LA. It's not too long after my dad died. So I was definitely in a, I had a big feelings during this time. Right. And um, I remember just being kind of high one day and being with my roommate and him saying hey there's another Wes Anderson film I'm like yeah put it on and then me just feeling this immense sense of comfort from watching that movie wow yeah I was gonna ask you why what what about this movie made it to the top of your list <laughs> well it's pretty obvious I'm a water person right I was born and raised in an archipelago. I grew up swimming with frogfish, with brittle stars. I grew up free diving with my dad, who was an avid scuba diver. He would bring home Mother of Pearl. He would always come back with his little from his ocean adventures, always like having collected some cool thing. Um, he would drop us off in the middle. It, um, a little not too far from my island is an extension of the Marianas Trench and he would drop my sister and I off there like with a with a pump boat and he would have a swim against the current like he was a big ocean guy mm. and then I became a big ocean baby um, hence why the film and the idea of like a, of, of Jacques Cousteau say for instance was really exciting for me right I uh, were you a fan of Jacques Cousteau back in, um, back in when you were growing up I I had always heard his name. Like he was obviously like he existed like a long time ago. We always heard it. And he I think my dad was always like, you know, I chose the Philippines because Jacques Cousteau said this was the last final frontier, especially for a guy who was an ocean adventurer. Right. So um I just always heard his name. Um, which is hate to name drop so early in the show, but I um I went to dinner. Well, Bobby and I went to dinner with his son, Pierre. A couple wow. of years ago. And I remember just being like, oh my God, that's Jacques Cousteau's son. That's him right there. Is he in, in following yeah. his father's footsteps? Yeah. Wow. Did you ever imagine that your life was going to go in that direction? No, and I didn't want to fangirl too hard. Because <laughs> okay. he was like a friend of my best friend. And they, and I was just like, oh God, just keep it in. Khalil. Do not talk about the ocean. I remember when I, when I saw this movie, you know, it was my first year in the U.S. And... I went to the movie theater. I didn't understand a word they were saying. So I had a very <laughs> strange fancy. experience watching it. 
Uh, but I could pick up on certain themes and I see definitely this like longing for a father and things like that, that uh, were you like, I mean, were you in that mind space when watching the movie? Would you identify him with someone like the Owen Wilson's characters, Ned? Um, in that connection? Maybe a little bit because, you know, my dad was, we had such a big, like probably two generations um, between us. He had me when he was 60. There was a sense of like, I revered him so much, but I couldn't quite connect to him mm -hmm. emotionally. Um, so yeah, maybe there was a little bit of that, but the only thing we did have in common really was the ocean. And that's when I always felt closest to my dad was when we would go on our ocean adventures. Yeah. So maybe there's a little bit of Ned Plimpton. In, in you? Me. I'm sorry, Kingsley. King, yes. Kingsley. Uh, yeah. you, you, you know the movie well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, also, I, I mean, I heard your, that in your bloodline, there is a little bit of that Tomb Raider, um, <laughs> adventurer is that part of also this this type of movie that uh, attracts you like they're looking for an adventure um uh, yeah my dad was i i when i looked at um bill murray's character steve zisu he, he reminded me of my dad he was somebody who just kind of you know um my dad came from money he had the money to do things he had the money to explore he flew like a single like engine jet from like Borneo to the Philippines. He would collect weird animals. We had a koala growing up. We had a monitor lizard who almost cut my sister's finger off when she was four years old that had to be like reattached. Um, we, so you, you live in a Wes Anderson movie? I really, really kind of do, minus the stop motion, right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so you said that you were between Vegas and, and, and LA. Were, mm -hmm. Was your college also, uh, I mean, going from place to place or were you ever in las vegas for a full time yeah i was there and i was vegas in vegas for exactly three years i went there on a swim scholarship um that got taken away eventually after my first year but i stayed there for an extra two years and um being in vegas was hard i was not i always imagine myself like i always just feel better when there's a coastline i can drive to right i know that sounds so fucking woo woo but I need to see water. Right. I need to take multiple showers a day. It is something that just, I don't know, just brings me so much comfort, I guess. Yeah. Why did you choose Vegas? Because <laughs> they gave me a full ride. That was... Other, I think, like, I had other options were Ohio State, ASU. And I think it was like, oh, we'll give you 80% or 90%. My sister was already a swimmer in Vegas, so... Oh. And my dad was dying, actively dying. And I was like, oh, if I could still be close by when the time comes to, um, you know, when, when the time comes for him to transition, then I can just, 45 minutes to Burbank is close, you know. Yeah, I, I look at a lot of your interviews and obviously you have talked a lot about your, your life on, on podcasts, but that part of your life in Las Vegas is a little more obscure. For some reason, I haven't found that much information where you know is there something that you is that a time that you don't want to talk about or like you'd remember um not being very exciting hazy and really kind of brutal mm -hmm. because um my senior year of high school was really brutal i had a lot of mental health issues i was in and out of psychiatric hospitals because i wanted to <laughs> Not to get too grim, but I wanted to end my life. Like, I I had a dying father and my sister had just gone away. I had a mom who um, uh, worked all day because that was the only way, you know, 
and the family could make money and she was working an underpaid job under the table because she wasn't a citizen um i was failing out of school i was just feeling pretty desperate i had quit swimming at that point um thankfully i got my shit together for two months and i trained really hard for two months swam a really good race my senior year got recruited and somehow managed to get offered a full ride but when i got to UNLV a couple months into getting my full ride they basically said oh you're missing an NCAA credit we have to take, take away. this away from you all the while I was still trying to make it into the Philippine national team for swimming for the Athens Olympics which was like my lifelong dream as a kid you just write that in your in, in, every day in my diary one day one day one day one day and it's not like I wanted to make the US team you'd have to be an alien to make the US team right um, I just wanted to go to Olympic Village and like live out this, you know, get my Olympic rings on me. And while that was happening, my dad was dying. Um, I was doing bad things in Vegas, probably getting drunk every weekend, probably getting kicked out of places. And then my dad dying and then my swimming career ending and then me just being like, oh, like, what now? You know, so... Yeah hazy is the reason why you don't hear a lot about it that just time. a really blurry painful time of my life probably borderline alcoholic too so how do you still manage to be a good student because eventually right you went to nursing school yeah. so how how does that happen how, how is you just super smart no definitely not super smart i think i um i got my shit together not immediately after. I didn't go back to school until, or seriously go back to school until I was like, what, 20, 24? Mm -hmm. So there was a period of time there where I was just up to no good, dating the wrong people and just trying to figure shit out. But when I decided that, okay, I don't have money for med school. I don't want to be in that kind of debt. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, let's try pharmacy. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be in that kind of debt. <laughs> and my mom's like, what about nursing? Because, <laughs> you know, Default. Filipino, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, you know. Yeah, it's like two years. Why not? Let's just go. And so I did that. And I got my shit together because I started to panic about my life and not being on, um, not making money. So you you talk about um, being ugly in high school. So is this time when, like, you realize you're hot? <laughs> 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 When does someone realize they're hot? Yeah. I want to answer this as honestly as possible. <laughs> yes. So, w when I came to America... Yeah. Like, I was hot in the Philippines. They... Even though, like, I had braces, I had a bushy eyebrows, like, because I was what they call mestiza, which is, like, mixed kid, mm -hmm. they always look at you as better than the rest which is so fucked up right so i came in to america full guns a blazing being like devon sawa this is it i'm gonna nail you know what i mean like i just had this like false sense of confidence because i was a uh you know a, a swimmer back home i was just like this you know pretty athlete mm -hmm. boy did that 
it was a reality check for me. Like as soon as I sat down in my first class, a boy looked over at me and was like, ugh, you don't shave your legs? God, I didn't know we had to shave our legs in America. And I, I, within the first week I knew I was like, oh my God, I'm a four in America. I better get my shit together quickly. So I befriended um, a bunch of cholas who were so good with their makeup overplucked my eyebrows they're like girl you need to grow your hair out and i just you know worked really hard to, <laughs> to get hot okay um but it worked yeah i feel really hot on the inside does okay. that help <laughs> yeah 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 but yeah when the, okay so i mean we're gonna jump a lot uh but uh where do you when do you realize you have that confidence to just okay i can be talking and be entertaining, entertaining on mic, you know, how does that, where is that coming from? From like a nurse who's like, you know, um, a swimmer? What? I, I, I don't know. I mean, when it comes to talking about things that are difficult, I've been really good with that. Um, only because um, that's just how my family was. Like they, or at least my aunties, when it came to talking about sex, they were very open, very like flirty older women. So that part, like, I heard my whole life. Very, uh, kind of vulgar. Um, and I just thought that was normal. So I kind of just always, like, led with that. And people were like, oh, like... That's interesting. That's crazy that you can say that with a straight face. Right. You know? And... Um, but podcasting is a totally different thing. Right. Um, I feel like Bobby really... hate to use the word groom, but he... <laughs> um, he didn't give me a choice. Um, I was finishing up nursing school. I was right about to graduate. I was doing my preceptorship and um, he was on DVD ASA a lot. Right. And um, he, we had just started dating, like maybe like a month and a half in and a friend calls me and I'm in, I'm in a clinic, an abortion <laughs> clinic, <laughs> Planned Parenthood, shout out. Where's my okay. camera? That shout out. Um, and I was getting an abortion yeah, things like that. I mean, to me, every time you you talk like that, I'm <laughs> maybe it's my Catholic, uh, you know, upbringing. Yeah, I'm Catholic too. I know, you're ba bad Catholic. Bad Catholic. Right? <laughs> so yeah, those things to me are shocking, but also like <laughs> entertaining to to listen. And also, I guess a lot of people relate to like, oh, nobody talks about this. The, the, well, this I, I didn't want to talk about it. Right. Certainly not an abortion. <laughs> but I a friend called me and he was like, hey... Um, um, Bobby Lee is talking about his uh, saying you're getting an abortion, and I'm like, what? <laughs> and so he was going. He went on DVD essay and basically said, yeah, you know, that got her dating this girl, got her pregnant, she's getting an abortion, but don't worry, like I paid for it. I remember calling him right after, lose my number, never call me again. You have no respect. You have no values. You fucking, you fucking heathen. Like, do not. D don't even think about me. Don't ever fucking mention my name. I just lost it. And um, I never wanted to see him again. I was like, how fucking dare you yeah. talk about something? So I was like, I'm still in nursing school. Like, what if one, what if my preceptor is just like, oh, hey, heard you a baby. You know what I mean? Like, and um, he was, he groveled. He did some emotional blackmail. He was like, I'm going to relapse if you don't come back to me. He was very dramatic. I was very impressionable at this time. So I said, okay, yeah. You know, a week later, I was like, okay, you know, like, I, I accept your apology. But don't do that again. But then he said, Clela, 
he's like, if you don't own that part about you, it's going to be held over you. So it's like you either hold it over yourself or other people will hold it over you. And it was a really good lesson I learned from him. It's like there are certain things that you just kind of have to come forward with so you become less afraid of it. And that was how he groomed me basically into yeah. being a fucking potty mouth podcaster. But I mean, that lesson, uh, you didn't have to learn it. Uh, you, you didn't, it didn't take long for you to learn it because I saw your <laughs> debut at DVD ASA, right? Like a few weeks after that, yeah. I guess. And you were there full blast, like yeah. uh, introducing yourself to, to the world like and, and talking like that already. He scared me. Okay. He's like, the one thing you never want to be is boring. Right. He's like, throw it out there. And I'm like, what do I have to throw out there? And I was like, yeah, I, I was with two guys, relationship with two men. You know, and I remember walking out there with a tail tucked between my legs and being like, oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? He was like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's all good. These things are good. Part of the grooming. Right. <laughs> and then I was like, are you sure? He was like, you weren't boring. You know, they'll hate you. They'll love you. But you just weren't boring. So... I don't know if that was a good thing, fancy, but that is basically what set me <laughs> off into this path of... Right. And I was, yeah, I was rewatching some of those DVD ASA and like, I, and I forgot how similar those, that said look to the original Tiger Belly, you know, I imagine like that's what you got the inspiration to, oh, I can do this. Yeah. Could, tell me about that, that moment where you decide, okay, I, I can do my own version of this by myself. Well, um... I just really like the idea of David Cho and Asa Akira just laying it all out there. Maybe at a cost, you know, and mm -hmm. but I found it to be the most authentic thing I had really come across in a really long time. Here were two Asians being disastrous, which is the kind of ilk that I feel like I, you know, I came from. I'm like, this is so relatable to me. Like, I feel just as disastrous as them. And, um, and, um, when DVD ASA ended about a year after, I think it was close to a year afterwards, I was like, oh, I'm just going to talk into a mic and practice. And I called that podcast The Calamity. Mm -hmm. And it was just me just, I don't know, sometimes Bobby. It'd be so silly. Some of them were 17 minutes long because his ADHD wouldn't allow him for more. Yeah. Um, but we always like... We were just like, this is so fun. I remember having no furniture. It was a second bedroom. And we were holding like the mics like this. We had one mic. So we had to kind of put smash our heads together. Right. And um, he was like, oh, this is fun. And we did 10 episodes of that. And I told him, I was like, hey, I think I'm going to try and do this for real, for real. And first he didn't say he wanted to join. I was like, I'm just going to do it. So I went to Sam Ash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bought the That's mics. Funny. Yeah. Um, and he saw me on the floor really doing it. He was like, oh, you're really doing it. He's like, fuck it. Let me get in there. So I got, I already had a second mic knowing that he was going to get in there. And then we recorded our first two hour podcast. And afterwards I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to edit it. And I looked at it and it had not... It, it was not recording. Right. And that's when I called my friend Jenna and said, hey, do you just have somebody who's like, who just press play? Who's not an intrusive type, blah, blah, blah. She was like, oh yeah, my friend Gilbert, I think he knows how to do that stuff. 
and, and he like his way into and i was like you know how to do stuff he's like yeah and then he got there and he was like i don't know how to do this stuff i was like fuck who cares i like you let's just learn so we spent two like weeks and weeks looking at how on on youtube how to start a podcast how to upload it because it was just on libsyn at that time right right we didn't know how to export it to itunes nothing we were just kids who had no idea what we were doing but you know worked out yeah i mean i guess so no <laughs> but what so what happened to the nursing track you didn't like it from the beginning and just... yeah it was always uh plan g okay Anyway, I never, and I respect nurses so much. My mom's a nurse. Both my sisters are nurses. Um, I saw how stressed they were. I felt like nursing school was, I, I loved learning everything that I did. And I'm proud of having some knowledge. Yeah. But it's just not for me. I, I, there was a part of me that was always really creative that was never allowed to be watered. My parents were like, nope, like biology this that science athlete science I, it's just, and then once i started um when i met bobby he that was the sweetest thing about him um he really does make you feel like you can do anything like he has that ability to convince someone not to make decisions based on fear right and I've always been the opposite. I've just been like, nope, like money first. He was like, no, like your dreams first, your heart first. Do it. Like, yeah, I just can't pay my phone bill though. You know what I mean? Right. And he was so sweet in that first like year. He was just like, I got you. I don't want you to be a nurse. I don't want you to go back. You don't look happy. It was really sweet. I could have used a nurse. Oh, yeah. He, you know, in my dreams, he speaks. He's my Wilson. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's getting hotter by the minute. Right? <laughs> yeah, this, this crew is all bare you bones. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Are you a bad friend? Ever wanted a place to talk trash on a Tuesday with others? Or a stage to show off your tiger belly face tattoo? Or maybe you just need somewhere to talk about movies you could not live without. Right. So you are in luck. I have big news for you. 7X is launching a Discord server and you are invited. Oh, that is big news. So come, share with us your favorite memes, tell us what you ate last night, or even give us unsolicited opinion about the TV show that you love and we haven't seen yet. We can't stop you. So... Click the link in the description below and join the fun. I'll be there giving a whole load of health and wellness tips. <laughs> I'll see you there. Seven Ekis Discord. Now, Andres, I got a bone to pick with you. You have to stop saying that. Never. So, okay. So, Life Aquatic has some of my, my favorite comedians in it, like Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. um, did you imagine yourself, okay, this is the world that I'm going to be in. Like, eventually, I'll be around comedians all the time. I'll be... A comedian of sorts of like in that wall of entertainment um, from where you were coming from yeah i would say that i've always been a big fan of um like comedic films were always my favorite but um i was always the least funniest in my family my aunties my cousins they're just so intrinsically fucking hilarious mm -hmm. um and I like surrounding myself with fucking hilarious people. 
I can be kind of a dark cloud sometimes. And I need that funny energy in my life. Um, it is what I'm used to. It's my baseline. It's what I feel like. I don't know. It's it's a dose of medicine that I need. And so, yeah, there is a, I don't know if I manifested it, but I, I think, you know, I am totally magnetized to funny people. I like to be in their presence. <laughs> okay. I, I can see that. And, and also, I mean, I don't know if you can, if you can go back to high school and say, Hey, I'm, you told me once, I think, uh, that you knew that you were going to be rich one day, no matter what, you know, that, that you had that thing in, inside. Don't, don't know how, but it, I'll, I'll get there. Mm -hmm. And that, that theme for success and you're doing it. I don't know how, you know, how do you have that inside? Also being at the same time, a person who was going through dark times. Um, so I learned this um, recently from Dr. Drew, and that is maladaptive daydreaming. So it turns out all of my delusions and me daydreaming about I want to do this and be this one day came from me wanting to escape um, my situation as a child, whether I was getting beat by my mom or just in whatever trauma I was experiencing at that time. And I would dissociate. I would stare off. And usually I, in that stare off were my delusions of grandeur. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But I think it accidentally manifested it for me. Like it accidentally happened because I was obsessed with escaping my reality. And my head was always in the clouds. And I think there is um, value in being a kid with your head in the clouds. And not being realistic. And having that sense of it can happen to me <laughs> you know and i don't know i don't know if i believe in the whole manifestation thing but I, i i accidentally two things it's either i accidentally got here or my mental illness worked in my favor you know what i mean right because i was imagining things that you know i thought could happen to me <laughs> wow Um, so you identify more with the Steve Sisu character than with An <laughs> Angelica's Houston uh, character? Eleanor? Yeah. No, I really like Eleanor. And I think what, what I love about her is that she knows she's the brains behind the whole operation. Not only is she the brains, but she's also the money, right? She's the money behind the whole Steve Zisu enterprise. But what I find funny and relatable about Steve Zisu is that he really kind of doesn't want to give it up to her. He gets very insecure at the fact when people mention Eleanor being, you know, she's the brains. Right. And, um, but there is, um, what I relate to about Steve Zissou is his, um, like, I think that, or maybe I don't relate to him as much as I do Eleanor. <laughs> um, but there is like, like a childlike kind of like wonderment about him where where he's just it's like i he's a fake adult and yeah. i feel like a fake adult a lot i want to be i have a peter pan complex or whatever but i'm i always ask my therapist this i'm like because she's in her 60s i'm like do you feel real like a real adult like this feeling that i have of being a child like does that ever go away and she's like it doesn't i'm like okay But yeah. I can relate to Steve Zizou just being this, all right. Right. So in, in, in your ti Tiger Belly universe, you know, I feel like, uh, who, who's, who are you? Who, who's the captain? 
you know, who's Klaus and who's the, you know, Bond Company Stooge. <laughs> <laughs> the Bond Company stooge. Is that the guy that they rescue? Yes. In um Citroen Hotel. Uh-huh. Okay. Um okay, so we know who the captain is. <laughs> There's no let's you know, not kid mm -hmm. ourselves. Bobby is obviously the right. captain of the ship. I like to think my of myself as a less serious version and a less rich version of Eleanor. Um I think that... But you're um, the brains behind the operation? Yeah, I bought those mics, didn't I? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think George is a Klaus. Nah. I was no. hoping you would say he's the bonus too. Yeah, I think I, I think so. <laughs> I was setting him up for that. <laughs> I would give him more credit than that because Klaus was a little bit prickly, right? And uh -huh. Kind of angry and that's just not George. <laughs> um, I want to see who was the entertainment of the boat i want to say gilbert's maybe like ned he's that soft energy very reliable energy um who pretended to be something he was not <laughs> right which is an audio engineer and ned pretended to be his son right he really wasn't his son right right i don't know it's uh yes it looked like uh, you know the movie lives it like it proves to us, to the audience, but not to the characters that, that right. you know. So I think the characters do believe that that relationship was real. Yeah, like one of my favorite scenes is when Eleanor is like, he shoots blanks. Right. <laughs> just like, oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I would say maybe, um, <laughs> yeah, let's not make George Klaus. The stooge guy. Let's the make him that. Yeah. yeah. Just it just sounds like him just saying his uh, the stooge guy. <laughs> uh, no, but so how how do you meet uh, George? How is he? How does he become a part of a part of this Tiger Belly family? Because I I guess like Gilbert comes from a friend of yours, and he's like, okay, I I'll figure out how to you know click record and not fuck it up. Yeah. How how does this George come to to the podcast, and how does the podcast become what it becomes? George owes it all to Bryce. Because Bryce was the one who cold DM'd me um, a couple episodes in. And says, hey, I really like um, Tiger Belly. My cousin, George. So he was like his broker. Like the guy who like really brokered the deal. Uh -huh. And then I went to Bobby. I was like, do you remember working with George? He was like, nope. <laughs> and he was like, show me a picture. I was like, this guy. He says he's worked with, you know, he's worked with you on Maker. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, should we start doing video podcasts? Um, and he was like, yeah, I guess. I was like, I think he's good enough. He's like, okay. And so that's how George, you know, entered the storyline. So funny how things like happen very accidentally. There's no master plan. It just... No, and so perfectly too, because right. everyone on Tiger Belly is so opposite of each other. Like we hardly really have anything in common, to be honest, but it just works. I like the, I love those guys. It's always been such a, feeling of i don't know like it's it, it's just like lightning in a bottle it just yeah. worked out that way it did yeah so i i because i could promise you in real life i would never be friends with george yeah i i get it i think that our hobbies are completely opposite yeah and there's a good chance that this podcast brought us together and made us really good friends and i'm really thankful for that yeah so if you were you know the captain of, of your own 
uh, ship, would you invite Esther and, and Annie? I feel like if we're out to like look for a treasure, say for instance, like in Steve Zizou, they were looking for the jaguar shark, right? Right. I feel like Esther would be really good at the planning and the delegating part. And from then, land. Yeah. And <laughs> from land. She'll be phoning it in or right. by telegraph. Okay. Um, Annie would be just big entertainment for the crew. Okay. She's there for, you know, um, for a, a big boost of comedic morale, I think. So who else do you get into this uh, adventure and in, in, in your ship? <laughs> who do you hire as your crew? I'd have Carlos there. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, because Carlos is, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a sweetie pie. Um, I'm trying to think of who my captain would be. I know, I'm the captain, right? You are. Oh, shit. Do you know that my dad... Um, um, in the Philippines, our business was with shipping. He he had cargo ships. So, um, yeah, you're just realizing now you're the captain. But I, I think <laughs> deep inside, you know, you are. I'm a fucking captain. You are. Yeah. Thanks, fancy. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, but it, it, all the people I would bring onto my ship are people that have, are my tried and trues. My sister, my best friend, all ocean people, people who like love marine life. People who could probably, like, be good with navigation. Who knows? Do you bring jewels? Fuck yeah. But she she doesn't know how to do anything. She knows. That girl has <laughs> fooled everybody. She has fooled everybody so that no one asks anything of her. Mm -hmm. But she can do it all. Awesome. Like, when I'm not around, she cooks the best meals. And then when I come home, like, who cooked this? She was like, oh, um... Mates, my mom. She's like, Mates brought it over. My mom's like, I didn't cook that. It's because she doesn't want to be asked to cook things. I see. But she can do it all. She is such a whiz at everything. She picks things up really fast. She doesn't want to do it for you. Mm. So she keeps her talents a secret. So uh, living with Jules all these uh, years, bringing her over and all that, uh, do you, do you want to be a mom? Does she <laughs> made me, uh, make you want to be a mom more or less? Oh, she... <laughs> She would make anyone want to be a mom. She is such an asset to my life. She adds so much, I don't know, so much of everything. She's such like a team player. Mm -hmm. um, but with or without her, I think I've always had um, mommy tendencies. I have seven animals, fancy. Right. You know, I think there's a pattern there. I've always had animals. I've always liked being a caretaker in their relationship, you know. Uh, you, you you mentioned a little bit. Um, I think you went to Whiskey Ginger and talked to Andrew about like you know how your relationship with Bobby, like you guys grew a lot uh, and and heal a lot of yourself. But in the in the process, you also lost some of that. You know, I guess spontaneity or like that the the fire. Uh, is that part of the growing up or is part of the healing? Like kind of like you have to leave some part of you behind to become a a more working, functional version. version. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, like, I mean, some would argue that I was way more fun, way more this and that in my 20s, you know, early 30s, but that was just not sustainable for me. So it was, you know, I was, you know, 
this just fun thing like that you know people seem to really enjoy my company then but i felt like that i i i wasn't being who i truly was and um i don't know if you're asking about like just the fire going out between two people yeah when you're both like, like working on yourselves mm -hmm. if that's um, part of the of the process is like yeah i'm, I'm a better person but at the same time my i guess the relationship that i build i have to leave behind somehow yeah i i i could i would i'll admit like when when bobby and i first got together it just felt very fiery exciting you know sexual all of these things like when you first that that, that happened when you first meet somebody and i was introduced into his world and everything was so brand new and um but when we started to see the cracks in our relationship and we started to kind of acknowledge them and i start to work on myself <laughs> um yeah maybe there is a sense that like you become each other's safe harbor and when you become each other's safe harbor um you you, you don't really want to tear their clothes off <laughs> You know, like it, it, there is a sense it does zap the sexual energy like a little bit, but also we didn't do a lot of things right. I, I'm a codependent. He's an addict. It's a match made in hell and heaven at the same time. But I went into full caretaker mommy mode, and he went into full like weaponized incompetence slash baby mode, and um. You know, we worked really well with those where our roles, but it wasn't healthy. Yeah. You know, and there's no sex when you're mommy or, you know, there just isn't. I don't want to fuck my kid. I don't want to fuck my kid. Right. <laughs> I, I hope so. Uh, I don't fuck my kid. I agree on that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, thanks. So how, how do you have a healthy relationship and be the best version of yourself then two things you could grow apart or you could grow so deeply entangled with somebody and bobby and i were so deeply entangled mm -hmm. like i just my whole identity was him like everything i woke up always thinking what what does he need today like do i did i miss a call from his manager do i need to wake him up at a certain time like everything i just prioritized him so much also by the way like of course like all of this knowing that if he succeeds i succeed like i'm not like if bobby does well i do well i always knew that was going to be the trickle down effect so i was very conscious of that and um in that way i did take care of myself i'm like i'll boost him up I'm riding these fucking coattails. And I did with Tiger Belly. Um, but I think now if I were to do it differently, I just, you know, I set boundaries pretty early on. Like, you need to take care of yourself. I cannot do, you need to be your own whole thing. And I have my own set of dreams. I have my own set of things to do. And when we get home, let's connect. Let's have weird sex. 
and <laughs> then we can all we can be we can individuate. Mm-hmm. But Bobby and I was just so entangled. Is he becoming this uh, Alistair character in the movie, the Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> like like this rich ex-boyfriend that nobody else is gonna match, you know? Or or how how do you see him now? He's. I still see him as a little bit of a Steve Zissou. Yeah. There's like a scene in that movie where um, he finally reads um, the... He gets the front cover of the magazine, right? Mm -hmm. That Kate Blanchett's character wrote. wrote. Uh And all the while, like leading up to this, he was like, what are you going to say about me? (laughs) Um, You better not be saying this about me. Like being like worried that she was criticizing all of the things. But finally, he gets the front page and he reads it and he was like, you know what? I am those things. They're not maybe they are critical, but I did those things and I am those things. And And I can live with that. Yeah. And I really do love that about Bobby is that he doesn't he's he's okay being himself. Like he's like, yeah, like I have a lot of frailties and. Some things I get extremely right and some things I'm really just bad at, but I am those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so he's still a little bit more Steve than <laughs> Alistair Hennessy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. So uh, in the movie, uh, Steve Sisu is doing this documentary and he gets a lot of criticism, you know, people criticize him, like they don't like his work. And... um. So how how do you deal with things like that when like you know people you became the you became the bad guy for a lot of people how did that happen and then how do you deal with that and how do you push forward Oh pushing forward <laughs> um I don't have a choice I don't have a choice but to keep it pushing um the one thing that um the one thing that I know I can always go to sleep at night like knowing is that I am good to the people in my life Mm -hmm. that I show up for people in genuine ways that I am good to you guys, to Carlos, to Pete, that I'm a person of my word. Um, And so it's just reinforcing who I know that I am and that's enough. That has to be enough for me. And knowing that I have your friendship, I have my family's love, that's, that has to be enough. If I start to um, go back to my codependent ways and wanting to valid, receive validation externally or from strangers, it's over for me. Sure. I'll never get it. Certainly not in this space and certainly not having been across from Bobby for 10 years and spilling all of these, like, you know, my deepest, darkest, you know, on a podcast. I, I, I know the bed I made. I appreciate the bed I made. I also know it's very costly to my mental health, but I also know now that it's just a part of my human story, you know? Yeah. And, um, but also no, knowing you and knowing Bobby, I think obviously there's a lot of truth in the things that you guys say, but also it is the entertainment part where yeah. like those things get exaggerated, twisted, mixed together, right? Like you make 
stories up that are in that brand that you created, but people believe that that person is 100% you. Anything that you say is 100% true. Right. How, uh, yeah, I guess like, what do you think like people get wrong about you? If you had to say like, this is one thing that they think I'm like this, but absolutely I'm, I'm the opposite. I, I kind of want to ask you that. What do you think people get wrong about me? I, I mean, personally, because I know you well, and actually I haven't, you know, I met you personally before I did any Tiger Belly research, you know, and, and then like seeing George work with you. I think that you were always very caring. And I think, I mean, Bobby, he's amazing in many ways, but I think he's a very difficult person, you know, like he's not a, an easy person to deal with. And you like manage that so well and so gracefully and like, and I feel like, I, I yeah, I, I'm not sure. I didn't follow what happened with you and how the people like build you up and like create this amazing woman. And then, I mean, other than that, something that people love to do, just build people up to just turn them down. Yeah, I think that's entertaining. That's why we yeah. have so much reality. But yeah, I didn't, I don't know what the moment was when I like, say, oh, this person is the person that I have to blame, whatever it is. I yeah. But I, I think that that's how a lot of brains work. There has to be like a fall guy i am that fall guy right um but i think uh one of the things people get wrong about me is how pretty boring and simple i am day to day <laughs> um i i i'm kind of just a a hermit kind of nature thing i i i keep a a I don't know. It's like sometimes there's this idea that you're this ultra exciting thing. And I just am not. I'm a sensitive thing. I like to read. I like to hang out with my animals. I like to stay home. And um, pretty fucking boring. I'm a pretty boring person. I always joke a lot on trash today. I was like, yeah, I was sucking dick in an alleyway. Like that is such an embellishment, really. It was probably sucking the dick of a boyfriend who I loved a lot. You know what I yeah. mean? And, and a, a boy- It did I, not sound like an embellishment. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, right. if I was saying things like, yeah, I got fucking, you know, like I got, you know, like railed in the ass in Spain. It was definitely with a boy I was in a relationship with, but I always just say it in a really crass way because it just makes it more interesting. It would mm -hmm. be like, there was this boy I liked, and then he asked if we could do anal. That's not as fun. So getting railed in the ass, you know, in Spain right. is is going to be... The more, this, definitely the more shocking. Right? <laughs> yeah. But I was never good at being single for too long, and I can't do that anymore. Okay, and is it working? It's like, it's are you hard. are you happy alone? Oh, uh, in that way. Yes and no. I'm somebody that likes to cuddle with someone every night. Right. <laughs> so I have my dogs for now. They they feel that hole inside me. Okay, so talking about <laughs> dogs, there is a dog in the movie, Cody, Cody right? And they left him on. I was going to ask you, would you have left him behind? Of course not. Leave a three-legged dog that was the ultimate hero of the movie? Right. So no you would way. have sacrificed everybody on that ship to get the dog. Of course. And also, <laughs> by the way, there was this one scene. So I... <laughs> the easiest way for me to dislike a movie is if there's any type of weird animal <laughs> shit. Okay. Which is 
this is the only part, my only true criticisms about Steve Zissou is that they had worker <laughs> albino dolphins. They had that freaking <laughs> Shamu, um, you know, right. trapped in its enclosement. They had, they left Cody, you know, yeah. and then Alistair Hennessy, there was a scene where he slaps the shit out of Cody <laughs> for like whimpering. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, I have to, I don't like that stuff, but no way I would have sacrificed my entire ship safety but to get Cody. They didn't kill the shark. They didn't. So. They didn't. There's a little Thank bit God. Of... Well, he couldn't. When <laughs> yeah. you see how beautiful this thing is, you're right. like, oh, okay. Like, it needed to eat. Do you have a shower, uh, a jaguar shark in, in your life? Like, a, <laughs> an invisible enemy that you're like, you know, that is there? Oh, that's a that's a loaded one. <laughs> it's not very invisible. <laughs> okay. There's a per yes. There are several people you want to stick it to. Okay. You so know, for eating your best friend Esteban. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> also, here's the thing about revenge. <laughs> I think by the time you get to that place where you're like, I'm gonna stick it to them, you probably no longer want to stick it to them because you've achieved something and now they feel so low. So it's like use them as a fuel to kind of get to where you need to be. But I can almost assure you by the time you get to where you need to be to stick it to them, you're going to have no desire to do so. You're going to be like, this small guy, that's what you were worried about? Right. No, I'm chill. I'm good. Okay. Yeah. That's a good answer. I like it. Um, it looks like there's a, a chapter of Tiger Belly that is the Bobby Kalila relationship. The, you know, this this couple crazy couple who you know just talk about their lives and interview a lot of interesting people uh now that you guys announced to the world that that relationship has changed how how is tiger belly different or how will it be different um i think it's better i think it's exponentially better i think i walk into that room and i don't see i don't look at bobby as someone who can hurt me I look at him as someone who I genuinely love, who is my friend, who is a complex human being, and who I love talking to. And sometimes that could get lost if we were if we just had a fight before right. we recorded. We don't have that anymore. I'm not I, I'm not tied to him romantically, and it's just been the energy in the room has just been so much nicer. And dare I say, even like more loving than it's ever been. Because we were, I was frustrated in their relationship, you know, and I'm sure he was too. And, you know, you got to put on a show, you know. Right. But now it feels a lot more genuine. And yeah, I feel like we're back to being just two people on a mic, on one mic. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years ago it's starting to feel like that again yeah that's a cool cool image i like that um okay so how do you now that you're in uh he's a uh, obviously a good friend uh someone who he looks like he'll, he'll always be there for you um and in in the movie we have like someone like klaus right who believes like he's this such a big friend of Steve and, and Stevan and he, you know, he gets jealous when this new person comes in. Like, how do you know, uh, how do you know who is a good friend? 
what are the qualities for a good friend? You know, if a new friend comes into your life, how, what are those qualities that ma will make that person a good friend? Um, for me, my standards of friendship might be a little impossible to reach because I feel like I've been so lucky with the friends that I do have in my life. A lot of whom I've known since I first came to America and I no longer consider them friends. They're my sisters, they're my family. Um, but we bend over backwards for each other. For example, when I moved out of Bobby's home, it was supposed to just be me, Jules, my mom and my sister. And we were just gonna move, well, we could move in a truck and that was it. But when I got there, it was eight of my friends and they were already inside the house. They were saging the corners. There was food on the table. They were, there were, you know, plants in certain corners. There were house slippers already at the front of the door. There was a sign that said, welcome home. And it just kind of confirmed for me, like, that, like, like, there is no better feeling than knowing that people are going to show up for you by hook or crook. They're going to put their lives aside. They know that it's a difficult day for you. Mm -hmm. And the tiniest things matter. And um, so, yeah, just showing up for your friends. If you show up for me during difficult times in my life, like, that's, you're a homie for life, basically. Yeah. Did, did you cry? Like, living? Yeah. Was it, uh, do you feel like nostalgic about that time or do you feel like, okay, no, this was like a great chapter. Let's start a new one. Uh, with Bobby? Yeah, with Bobby, the house, the whole, because it looks like the Bobby chapter never ends because you guys still work together. It's just a different version. It's extremely painful. Um, it's so weird how you can be like, oh, um, fine i understand you can intellectualize a breakup all you want you could be like hey i we're not together romantically like we don't work but like last night even i'm like why do i just miss him why do i just like miss having him like around you know and so but we talk about this thank god him and i can sort of process this stuff together because he'll say the same to me he's just like i miss the sound of the dogs i miss waking up at 3 p.m walking out and hearing you and jules like you know, pitter-pattering around or whatever it is. But I think this is also just grief. And I think it is a necessary thing to go through. Um, and maybe there is a piece of me that will never get over Bobby. But I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that little piece is really just like, honoring this kind of unique love we shared just pretty fucking unique yeah <laughs> like him and i we had our own brand that worked for us a slightly disastrous but you know there was real deep fucking love there yeah okay wanna something sillier do you wish you could breathe underwater <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Oh my God. So in, in the Philippines, there are these group of um, people called the Bajau. Mm -hmm. And it's they don't have gills per se, but they have enlarged spleens. And that allows them to stay. Most of them are spear fishermen. They're seafaring. 
kind of um, communities that rely on spearfishing for sustenance to get their food. So they've evolved to have these enlarged spleens. Mm -hmm. I don't want gills. I just want a slightly enlarged spleen to keep me down a little bit longer. Because right now, like, my lung capacity is very average. And I, in my head, I'm like, oh, well, this is in my blood. I'm Filipino. I must have the bajau spleen. <laughs> I'm a swimmer. I don't. I don't. It's I can like, stay a minute and a half, and that's about it. That's a good superpower, yeah. Um, so, what are if you had to do a documentary, you know, what would be the subject? What, uh, what are your obsessions? Um... I'm sure it's a documentary now, but 10 years ago, I was like, I want to do a documentary about the prison system in the Philippines <laughs> and the, the prisoners that do like the Michael Jackson story, yeah, the, not the, Jackson story Michael the, Jackson dances, the thriller, the thriller and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm sure someone's done that. Um, <laughs> um, probably something really Philippines related. I would love to do a documentary about um, the Bajau or um, there's this group of, they call them like Korea's first working moms, um, the Henyo women. Um, my friend Kimmy Werner does this like incredible kind of, she like swims with them. She learns how to like see forage from them, but I would want to do like a full feature thing on them. These are women in their 80s who still go out every day, put their wetsuits on, and they collect abalone. They just, and they dive in cold, rough water for this every day. And they they do it like when they were, like some of them are like eight and a half months pregnant. And they're like, nope, we got to put our wetsuits on and go there and do this. Yeah. yeah so water related stuff. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Um So there is a line in, in the movie at the end when, you know, it finally looks like this tiger shark is real, where Bill Murray, Bill Murray says, I, I wonder if he'll remember me. I think it's kind of like the few f emotional notes in the movie. I don't know if you find the movie very emotional. I think like there's... I a, do. You do? Yeah. The whole thing. So yeah, I think for, for me, that's kind of like the at the end when I get a little more into the emotional thing and it's like... How yeah? How do you connect with this movie in that emotional, that emotional element? You know what? What would you, if you had to say to someone, go see this movie? How in in that emotional realm? How would you describe it to someone? Oh, that's tough because there's so many like things like thematically that it hits. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the general theme for me, the biggest takeaway, is you know, you create a boogeyman in your head. And by the time, you know, you get the chance to kill that boogeyman, that boogeyman is not really the boogeyman. You've created that boogeyman in your head. Mm -hmm. And um, for his character, at least, the jaguar shark did eat his friend Esteban. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe he was kind of a real boogeyman, but not in any nefarious way. He was just an animal surviving yeah and i think that you know the biggest takeaway for me is someone could hurt you really 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 bad and that is the boogeyman in your head but more than likely it's because they themselves are just trying to survive and 
I hope to God that no one's really out there trying to like hurt each other intentionally. And that jaguar shark certainly wasn't. He was just hungry. Okay. That's a good a good a good take on the movie. So for those who say like okay, The Godfather is a great movie, best movie ever, ever made or Vertigo, why would you say no? This is this is that movie. Um <laughs> because it's when I look at this movie, mm -hmm. it feels free. It's like someone was just like I have this idea. Can we put a boa constrictor right there? Can we put, you know, this thing right there? Even at the at the the scene at the end when Ned is dying in the water, how the blood splashes into the screen. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, like there was just it looked like friends playing and having full freedom to exercise their creative whims. And it's so like just aesthetically beautiful i think it's so silly it's so funny the first 10 minutes of that film like is one of the most hilarious things ever even when alistair hennessy and and steve zisu talk to each other for the first time because yeah. they're both fighting over eleanor is one of the funniest things i've ever heard like there's just it's extremely funny it's incredibly heartwarming but also It, like, that's what I love about Wes Anderson. It's like, it's like full flex of his imagination. Yeah. And, yeah, how can you say no to a movie like that? Cool. So, be before we finish, I want to, I, I, I was talking to people that they know you, and I, I found Jules had a couple things she told me about, about you that, I mean, some of them, I think you, you have told them before, some of them... Uh, you haven't, so I'm gonna ask you. She says that you love to cook, but you don't, or you haven't had the chance the chance to cook because Bobby would prefer to just eat out all the time or like order. So, are you cooking now? I'm cooking a lot. It's yeah, um, I used to cook a lot, but it's hard to cook for myself, just one person. The way I cook is always four or more people. So, and it was just Bobby and I. He was like, hey, I made this. And he was like, oh, he'd love everything I cooked. But most of the time he would just be like, going to Koreatown after my set or going to go eat this. And I'm, then he doesn't eat leftovers. So, yeah. But I'm cooking a lot now. Thanks okay. for asking. The second thing is like, she says that you always like gay men. Like, or... <laughs> <laughs> or, or guys like Bobby. She, she, she said like Bobby in quotes. Um that have a gay side or a feminine side is that true those are those are the energies you feel attracted to yeah it's half gay or butt <laughs> i i just i don't know it's like maybe she's i do have a pattern <laughs> like i just think that if a dude is down or that open with certain experiences and is not encumbered by society's expectations for him he's probably really good in bed and I don't know. I just like, I, I like, I like that. <laughs> and yep. wait, hang on. I think there is a, oh God, somebody sent me a meme. Um, oh. You have bars in here? Quick, call for help. <laughs> call for help. Yes. <laughs> Please. <laughs> hang on one second. I just really want to read it to you. This is just a, a, a tweet. And it says, is he really a freak if he's not even a little gay? 
And I, I really, everyone sent that to me last week. <laughs> Interesting. Well, in the movie, like Steve at one point, right? Like they said, like, um, everybody or su supposedly everybody is a little gay. Yeah, because Alistair Hennessy. Right. He's, he says he calls himself half gay. Right. Yeah. It's just, I like these boys. Okay. I like these boys who like boys. <laughs> and um, I don't know. It, it, it cannot be a kink. I think it's tied to the fact that I think they're just down. Okay. And they're open. And that excites me. Yeah. And then the last thing that she said is like, uh, that you like to eat ass. <laughs> <laughs> but. Oh my God, Jules. But the guy has to deserve it. So what does uh, what does a guy have to do to deserve that? When did you interview this <laughs> fucking heathen of a child? Um, he has to deserve it. No, most of the time he's just got to want it. Okay. And um, I'm the last two asses I <laughs> I uh, snacked on. The last two I like looked at them and I was like. These are beautiful. They look nicer than mine. <laughs> and these were... Uh, and so, you know, it, they didn't... They deserve it. They deserve it. They deserved it. Okay. Yeah, they deserved it. Awesome. Are, are you a David Bowie fan? I am. I am. Do and but when when I remember just when I first watched that movie, I became obsessed with Say George. And he was my MySpace song for so long. Yeah. Where his covers were, yeah. Awesome. So last part of this is like, I, oh, the newspapers that got to the island. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to read you a couple of things that people have said about this movie. Okay. But And you have to defend this movie against this, this users. Okay. So the first review says... This film ranks at the top of most awful films in history. Though it claims to be a comedy, there is a little to not humor in it whatsoever. An all-star cat lures you in, and then the director, writer Wes Anderson, kills you with a pointless story, bad music, and an absolute boredom. Dude, this guy is in a dungeon having only ever had sex with his hand. <laughs> like, have some fucking levity in your life. That that movie is joyful. It is colorful. There's stop motion animation. There's a fucking crayon pony fish. There's a jaguar shark. Like, do you not have fucking eyes? <laughs> like, what did you watch? Review number two. I feel myself stupid for seeing what I now consider the worst film I've ever watched. Yes, it is worse than two girls and a guy. And that's saying something. I don't know why Owen Wilson, Cable and Shed and Will and Dafoe signed to do this movie. A death wish? <laughs> Why in name of all it's sacred They acted in this big piece of shit What did this person grow up Like liking Hallmark movies <laughs> Like what are they looking for Okay and Just angry virgins Bill Murray Not at all funny I want my money back Owen Wilson I usually like his acting But what a lousy role Cable and Shed Beautiful as always Dumb role Easy to intimidate reported don't waste your money. No plot. <laughs> I mean, great use of adjectives. Dumb role. Not funny. Not only are they all wrong, but they probably have pretty shitty taste in movies. Like, yeah. they'll probably be like, 
Kalila, you should, you know, watch the nun or, or like I don't <laughs> know. Like, like look at this, you know, it's a great action movie and it's some fucking like that Christian movie that Nicolas Cage did. Right. Do you the, remember that one? I do. I, I forgot the title, but yeah. Which was actually turned out to be a great it's movie. like a fun high entertainment yes. value. But yeah. still. Yeah. Um probably Christian. Um two things that that writer could be fully conservative Christian or fully like PC lady. Like sometimes they no sense of humor. Yeah, they 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 get along with their <laughs> lack of sense of humor. <laughs> right. All right. So the last thing, uh, one of the things that I, I like the most about this movie is the fact that mm, um, Bill Murray's character keeps this, this letter from 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 his alleged son since he was a kid. So since we're on an island and 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 we, we are trapped here, if we were to write a letter to your dad, what would that letter say? Can we write a letter together? <laughs> um, dear Papa. Okay. <laughs> Um, believe it or not, I'm still alive. <laughs> I realize now that I should have spent more time sitting with you one-on-one -on -one and listening to your stories instead of being an angsty teenager and dismissing it as time not well spent according to my selfish teenage self. Um, I recognize that you were right and I am a lot like you, but you were also right that you said I would probably have a somewhat difficult but colorful life. Um, I miss you um, and I want you to know that I am okay. I will see you in my dreams, probably underwater, where you loved the most. All right. Sign. <laughs> what did he used to call me? Oh, just Kalila. He hated it when people called me or gave me nicknames. Your name is Kalila. It's not Kalai. It's not this. It's not K. It's Kalila. Okay. So, then we're gonna. Oh. It's thin. Even oh, this message island. In a plastic bottle. That's not gonna. It's, it's polluted, this <laughs> island. <laughs> producers but yeah that way you know it's not, gonna, it's not gonna get that far i mean it might because i mean plastics they, they stay it's, you know you know i'll kill a turtle somewhere <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, thank you so much, Kalila, for coming. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, I'm obsessed with this set. Um, and this was, dare I say, the most fun podcast I've done in a really long time. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yay. Yay.